The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. We are going to pray because God is here and he wants to talk to us about his kingdom through his word. And this is a really powerful passage. It's really a culminating passage in the gospel of Matthew. Brings us to the right to the kind of like forefront of two major themes in the gospel of Matthew. The gospel of the kingdom and his call to follow Jesus. And so we're going to ask him to help us sort through that and see what he wants to say to us through his word. So let's pray. Um, Jesus, you are here and that's good news. You're on the throne, reigning over this world, reigning over all things, and you are also present and personal and relational and tender and full of grace and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Your mercy is new every single morning. So to to gather here as your people, to worship you as the living God, as the present friend, as the loving Savior, as a gift. So would you help us to hear your voice this morning? Not just engage intellectually in your word, but hear your voice and what you're calling us to. Would you fill us with joy in your good news and fill us with um, a receptivity to your call on our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I, uh, I, I think inside Christian circles, various Christian circles, there's a lot of lingo that starts getting like tossed around in different pockets, like different sub-Christian pockets. And so you'll notice this if you've ever kind of like grown up in, in a certain church community or a certain church culture, and then you kind of transition and now you're in like in a different church culture than you used to be, you notice like language changes and you're like, wait, what word did they just say and why are they talking about things like that, right? Or if you're new to Christianity altogether, you have no background in Christianity, you walk into a church 
meeting and people are using words that are just bizarre, right? Like, like, hey, you should come to my gospel community. And somebody's like, well, you know, like, do you guys have small groups here? And you're like, no, we have gospel communities here, right? Or are they called missional communities or discipleship groups or whatever, right? Like, you have, like, all these names that surround things. And you use words like, man, it was really sweet fellowship last night. We just had a, like, really great fellowship. And you're, and you're new to Christianity and you're like, you guys are weird people, you know, like nobody says it's really good fellowship. Like no, no normal person says that, but we do. Um, we say things like that, right? You hop, you hop in a prayer meeting and somebody's getting ready to travel and so we start praying for traveling mercies over them and you're like, traveling what? You know, you like lift up your eye, you're like, what did I say? And somebody else is praying for a hedge of protection to surround you and you're like, what? <laughs> What is happening in this place? You know, and, there's, and then somebody else echoes that prayer. I'm just echoing that prayer. And somebody else, you know, just prays for their brother or sister and all the other unspokens in the room. You're like, who are the unspokens and what does that mean? <laughs> right? Like, these are things that just are weird stuff. And, uh, and it's not just in Christianity. It's like all over. You know, things are cool or wicked or tight or dope. Or, and it depends on, like, where you come from. Sick. You know, things are sick. You're like, who's sick? No, it's sick. It's, it's good. It's cool. You know, I don't know all the new ones. Those are all the ones from like two decades ago. Uh, you know, uh, that's all I know. I said cool beans the other day in a meeting. And as soon as I said it, I was like, shoot. You know, and everybody looked at me like, what? wait, what did you say? I'm like, nothing. Move past it. Move. They don't let me live it down. They always like anytime like, oh, cool beans, Gary. I'm like, ah. Lingo. Lingo is funny because you have these words you use and, and you don't always think about them. You don't always think about what they mean and why you say them and who says them, which actually leads to a real danger, especially when you start getting to really important words that have become common. And actually in the passage today, we're, we're kind of introduced to one of the most important words in the world that is actually really, really common and can be grossly misunderstood. You can have assumptions about it. It's the word gospel. In this passage, it says that Jesus went throughout this region preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What's the gospel, right? We start talking about the gospel as a church. We're like, we're a gospel-centered church. Is it a gospel-centered church? It's a gospel community. We have gospel-centered preaching and gospel-centered music. And, and some of you are like, man, there's a lot of just like, we just throw gospel in the front of things and it makes it good and I should care about that. We don't know what it means. Or maybe you're thinking gospel as a genre of music or gospel as like a, a little, you know, story, like a short little story about Jesus or something. Yeah, these conceptions. The question is, what does it mean? Because at the heart of this passage is Jesus proclaiming the gospel or the good news about his kingdom. And it's a theme that's going to kind of govern the entire book of Matthew. Matthew's whole story, we actually call it the gospel according to Matthew, the good news according to Matthew about Jesus. This theme of the good news of God's kingdom is going to be a governing theme that stretches all throughout this book. And it's really, really important for us to get not just our minds, but our hearts around it because the gospel is not merely the news of the death and resurrection of Jesus that you believe in and you pray and you become a Christian and then you get to go to heaven when you die and then you kind of like just have to keep believing that story and then you get to go to heaven when you die. The, the gospel of the kingdom is way bigger than that. It is that. It is that. It's just way bigger. And as you hear it as news which is offered to you that you have an opportunity to believe the news or to not believe the news. If you believe the news, the nature of the gospel, the nature of the news ought to mean something for your life. It ought to mean something for your day-to-day -day life and your heart and your life ought to align with this news if it's true. And so what we're going to see this morning is Jesus 
establishing or preaching this good news about the kingdom and inviting you, you, not just these first four followers, but inviting you to follow him and to follow the way of the kingdom. And this is going to be the mega theme that stretches throughout the whole, the whole book of Matthew, is Jesus establishing his kingdom and inviting you in. Not just to experience the power of his kingdom, but to actually be the agents through which the news of his kingdom spreads across the face of the world. And so we're going to look at it really in three parts. I'm going to look at these three phrases, the gospel of the kingdom, this call to follow me, this call that Jesus makes to follow me, and then the third where he calls those who follow him to become, what it says in this passage, fishers of man, or that you would fish for people, which is a weird thing. It's another weird word. So what do those mean? How do they make sense in this passage, and what does it matter for your life? So we're going to start, um, if you close your Bible, I want you to open it up. If you don't have one, you can grab it from that pew back in front of you. We're in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going we're gonna to walk through this and, and see these kind of three themes, the gospel of the kingdom, the call to follow me, and the call then to become fishers of people. Look with me at chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 12. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, a little bit of context. He has just whooped up on Satan in the wilderness and dominated, showing his power over darkness, his power over the evil one. And it's the beginning of his public ministry. It's the beginning of his public proclamation. And Matthew's going to basically just be giving a summary of the types of things Jesus was talking about and his invitation for people to join him in his kingdom mission. Starting in verse 12. It says, Now when he, Jesus, heard that John, speaking of John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So he had been in Nazareth. He went out to the wilderness. Nazareth is a little podunk town about 20 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, So roughly 20 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. It's where he had grown up. He went out, got baptized in the Jordan River, and then he was in the wilderness. And then after that experience, this leader of Judea, a guy named Herod, had arrested John the Baptist, would eventually behead John the Baptist. And something about his antagonism against John the Baptist moved Jesus to, to get away from Nazareth where he had grown up and to move into the sea, the region around the Sea of the, of the sea of Galilee, mostly the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. Much of the work that Jesus is going ha- to happen throughout actually the majority of this gospel is around the Sea of Galilee. Okay, And so into that reality, Jesus has now journeyed 20-ish miles to the Sea of Galilee. He's in a town called Capernaum. And this is what it says. It says, in leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And so what Matthew's cueing us in is the fact that Jesus is going to spend time around the Sea of Galilee actually cues us into something God has been promising for a long time that he would do. When God brings his kingdom, here's what it would be like. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 9. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Um, what the prophet Isaiah is referring to, what God had promised through Isaiah, is a really powerful thing. The, the, the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, which are the names of two of the tribes of Israel, they're a part of the northern kingdoms. And so the people of Israel stretch, if you think about like Jerusalem's down here, Bethlehem, I'm doing this for you, I'm mirroring for you. Jerusalem's here, Bethlehem's over here, Galilee's up here. These northern kingdoms of these northern tribes of Israel had turned away from the reign of God and got just totally smoked by the Assyrians some 700, 800 years before this. I mean, they were just 
ravished. They compromised with the gods of the Assyrians. They departed from God in a lot of ways. And they were known by the, by the southern kingdoms, people in Judah and Judea, if you look kind of further south in areas like Jerusalem, they looked at the people in the north and thought it was just a place of darkness and pain and devastation and brokenness and oppression. And this prophecy in Isaiah says in that region, that really dark region that's dominated by pain and brokenness and loss and grief, in Isaiah it uses words like anguish and gloom and burden and warring and striving. In that region, God is bringing a light. Light will break into the darkness. And and anguish will be turned to joy and gloom will be turned to gladness and burdens will be lifted and brokenness will be restored and slavery will be abolished and chains will be broken and, and peace will spread and joy will spread. And at the culmination of this promise at the beginning of Isaiah chapter nine, it says, here's here's how it's all gonna happen. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government or this new kingdom, this new way of life will be upon his shoulders. He'll be the one establishing it. And his name, the name of this child will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the bringer of shalom, the bringer of restoration. And then it says, and of the increase of his government and of his joy, there will be no end. So it's like light is going to break into this dark region and it's going to bring gladness, and joy and restoration as the wonderful counselor comes, the mighty God comes, the everlasting father comes, the prince of peace, all in this child, all in this son, all in this person, he will come and he will bring joy and gladness in a kingdom where it will spread hope and healing and restoration forever and ever and ever. And so when Jesus walks from Nazareth to Capernaum, Matthew says, it's on. The light is shining in the darkness. The light is piercing the darkness. And that brings hope not just to the region of Galilee, but it would spread hope and healing and restoration to all people throughout all generations, throughout all nations forever and ever, which means Jesus in this moment is initiating this this kingdom mission that brings hope to you today. Right now, in the midst of anguish and gloom and darkness and fear and anxiety, and brokenness, and division, and injustice, and pain, and grief, and loss, and in sickness, and in death. Jesus is bringing good news to you. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news that the reign of God is being established. And under the reign of God, broken things are mended. This is what the gospel is. The gospel is, in the reign of God, broken things are mended. And the way that Matthew's going to talk about this in this passage is pretty powerful. And I want you to actually see it right here in the text. Look at verse 17. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. Another Christian-y word. Just means reorient your life. Something is happening that means something for you. And it's time to turn to God. God is coming again. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reign of God is at hand. Heaven's another tricky word. Heaven you start thinking of as some, some place, this ethereal place that's kind of somewhere above the clouds and kind of, you know, south of Pluto. You know, like, uh, you know, like somewhere up there, there's something happening and we're in like white robes and harps and we're singing and it's this place that you go to when you die. Now there's parts of that that are super true. Most of that's more or less platonic or neoplatonism. It's not like 
Bible understanding of heaven. The heavenly realm is the place where God lives. It's the place where God reigns. It's the place where God is at work. And actually, heaven and earth are interacting all the time. The reign of God, as it comes into your life, is this intersection of heaven and earth. The presence of God, the reign of God is touching your life, bringing restoration and hope. When we gather together on a Sunday, it's this beautiful moment where heaven and earth are one. Like as we bow to the, to the reign of the king, as we sing praises to who he is, as we consider his presence, as we gather together as his people, it's these like intersections of the heavenly reign of God coming to earth to bring hope and life and healing and forgiveness and power towards his people. It's reestablishing or reconciling the, the place where humans live and the place where God lives. And he's bringing the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom. Now, throughout the history of the Bible, the, the concept of that kingdom and this reconciliation of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth is a huge theme because it starts at the beginning. I'm not going to get too much into it. We've been hitting it every week. But at the, at the core, it's this, this concept that humanity was supposed to, to, to dwell with God, to walk with God, and to hear his voice, and to follow him, and to put him at the center. And, and when we, through the influence of the evil one, which we looked at last week, we reject the reign of God, there's a separation. And the Bible storyline says that that separation has led to brokenness that touches everything. And so the Bible word for that brokenness is the curse. The curse, because of our rebellion, has touched everything. One, it leads to this division in our relationship with God. We're separated from God. And then it leads to a brokenness in our own hearts that leads to antagonism and pride and shame and systems that lead to divisions of people and people groups. And it brings a brokenness into the created order where our bodies decay, the world decays, things like viruses spread and people suffer and people die. And that's all a part of the curse. And so this beautiful world that God's made and everything he made is beautiful, everything, including you, like he designed you, he made you, he wired you, he fashioned you. He declares over everything he's made. It's really, really good. It's really like he delights in how he made you. He delights in how he wired you. He delights in these things. And yet all of these beautiful things that God has made are now affected by the curse. And so then there's that old Christmas hymn, Joy to the World where it talks about he comes to make his blessings flow everywhere as far as the curse is found. Do you feel a curse in your life and in your marriage and in your relationships and in your body and in our systems and in our nations and in our culture and in the, in the world itself? When Jesus comes on the scene, he's bringing blessing to everything that's been broken. Everything. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God. That he's bringing restoration to, to everything. And you see it right here in the passage. You see what happens when the king comes, when the king enters the world. Here are the types of things that begin to happen. It says this in, in chapter 4, looking at verse 23. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so, so those, these phrases, healing, disease, and affliction, can be misunderstood or they can be limited. The word healing is this Greek word therapeuo, which where we get the word therapy or therapeutic. And it has to do with restoration. It's not just physical healing, it's about restoration. He's the bringer of restoration. So everywhere where the curse has worked itself in the world, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's offering the hope of restoration to everything that's been broken. And then it's this word disease and affliction, both of which refer to, can refer to both physical ailments and, and maladies and disease, physical diseases, physical illnesses, and both can refer to internal, emotional, spiritual, psychological, relational brokenness. 
that the words are used in both contexts. And so it's referring to the fact that when Jesus comes on the scene, he's not just giving people tickets to heaven to bide their time on earth. He's actually coming onto the scene to bring restoration to everything. And people begin to taste his power, kind of like, like four tastes of his power as, as they come to him. As they come to the king, establishing the kingdom, people are healed and restored and experience transformation in all kinds of areas of brokenness. First, relationship with God is reconciled and restored. Even while we wrestle to, to actually live in the light of that, we're restored through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But he also brings cleansing from sin and shame that gets wiped away and, and bondage to spiritual opposition that gets broken and healed and addictions to turning away from God and, and sin, these practices, this bent heart that's turned away from God and selfishness begins to kind of slowly get healed and, and restoration begins working itself into the life of his people and then through the life of his people towards others. And this is the good news when God comes, he's bringing restoration and transformation. It includes healing of physical diseases, but it includes way more than that. It means there's hope for your marriage. It means there's hope for the things that you feel like you're stuck in, you've been struggling with, and the depression you battle, and the anxiety you feel, and the insecurities that feel like just keep kind of like hampering your ability to like walk through life. You constantly feel defensive or afraid or, or fears of rejection. And part of that is because there's brokenness that's affected you. And as the love of God comes into you, and his kindness and his mercy and his faithfulness begins to like restore the broken stuff in your life, it brings real transformation to who you are in this world. Powerful transformation. He's coming to bring transformation. This kingdom is a place where people experience real, tangible, actual, powerful transformation. And so the question I have for you is twofold in this. Number one, do you believe the good news? It's not, gospel's not advice. It's not tips and tricks on how to live a great life. It's news. The king has come. And he's bringing restoration to the world. Do you believe it? The king has come, and he's bringing restoration to the world. That's the news. It's happened. Do you believe it? Do you actually believe it? Because if so, it should mean something about the way you approach life. It means something about the way you approach your marriage. It means something about the way you approach your friendships. It means something about the way you approach your work. It means that the reign of God is, is bringing hope. And it's bringing love, and it's bringing grace, and it's bringing patience, and it's bringing joy, and it's bringing peace, and it's bringing faithfulness and goodness. And the presence of God is bringing all of these things. And as you believe it, it ought to lead you to be a person that embodies that sort of kingdom culture, which is why we call it the evidence of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence that God is at work in you means something for your presence in this world. And do you believe that the King has come and he's establishing his kingdom? And secondly, where do you need to see his transformation at work in your life? Where do you need to see it? Where do you want to see it? Maybe where have you seen it? Just to pause and be like, God, you've done things in my life, and I just want to say thank you. I want to share the good news of what you've done in my life to others. Or here's an area where I just feel stuck. I just feel stuck. It doesn't, I don't feel the reality of your kingdom. And the question is, can you take those things to the king and say, Jesus, I need your power. I need your grace at work. I can't fix myself, clean myself, tweak my life, upgrade my lifestyle, and find happiness and joy. I need you, King Jesus, to bring joy into this life and into this world. 
Now the question is, like, when he comes, what, what, what does it mean to actually become a part of this people? If he's establishing a kingdom, what does it mean to become a part of this people? And this is where the second major theme of the Gospel of Matthew arises, and it's this theme of Jesus establishing a new people through this really powerful invitation where he says to people, follow me. I want you to follow me. Now, follow me is, is a word where we kind of get this concept of discipleship. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. So, so what, does that, what does that mean? Well, first, it's important to kind of consider who he's, who he's calling out to, because it's really stunning in this passage. He's not going to the religious elite. He's not going to the theologically astute. He's not going to the social, social kind of like leaders and the civil leaders and the wealthy and the wise. He's going to ordinary people that are aware of their need for a savior. The people that are, feel sick. People that feel like desperate. People that feel like I need help. People that feel like I, I, I can't. I can't make this life wonderful. I, I can't establish kind of the Garden of Eden, a life that I long for, this paradise-type life that I long for. I, I, I can't do that. I need God to work. And he comes with this invitation. The invitation goes to everybody, but the people responding, the people responding to the call are the people that are just like, I need a Savior. What's awesome about the invitation is he doesn't say, hey, you, get your stuff together. Clean it up a little bit. I'm, I'm establishing a new people, and you're almost good enough, but I need a little more from you before you're, like, welcome. No, it's just like, follow me. And it's not so I say invitation because it feels kinder. It's not so much an invitation. It's actually an imperative. He just says it. Follow me. Like, the king is here. He's establishing the kingdom, and he's like, you, follow me. You, follow me. You, follow me. It's not an invitation to be domineered. It's an invitation into a, a kingdom where you experience transformation and life. And you can come in with guilt and pain and brokenness and fear and anxiety. It's just to turn, to repent, to turn to the king and to hear his voice saying, follow me. Follow me. And as you follow him, your presence with him isn't contingent upon your behavior. It's not contingent about how fast you can learn theological truths or how quickly you can kind of tune up your life. It's just to turn to him and trust he's the king. And he's the king who died for me and he's the king who loves me and he's the king who called me and so I'm gonna be with him. And so at the core of what it means to be a Christian is just to follow the king, to be with him. Now here's the, here's the problem. We can begin to equate Christianity with our theological beliefs or our moral behaviors or our activity for God. And you can actually do all that without ever slowing down to be with him. And I'll tell you, this is part of my own story. I have, I have two huge chunks of my life where, I, where as I look back, I look at this time in my 20s where I was just learning as much as I could. I mean, I was in the Bible. I was in undergrad. I was taking Greek and Hebrew. Then I was in grad school. Then I was in other grad school. I'm just like learning and learning and learning. And my relational intimacy with God was was vaporizing. And that's not a problem with learning. That was a problem with my own heart, that somehow I just was so consumed with, with just learning and learning and learning. And then somehow I equated growing as a follower of Jesus with learning theology. And there's nothing wrong with learning theology. In fact, it's really, really good. But I lost sight of what it meant to be with him, to know his presence and his love. I would show up at church just like you are today, and I'd sit in the back with my wife, and people would sing, and I would cry. And I just cry, because I felt like, man, I am in this book hours and hours a day, and I feel so isolated, so disconnected from God, and I just cry. Years, years of that. 
And then, and then later, and I feel like God was teaching me things in that, and then I get into church ministry, and, and then I start like doing all these things for God, and, and, and preaching, and teaching, and, and doing classes, and leadership development, and these things, like I'm doing it all for God, and I'm doing it all for God, and all of a sudden I'm like exhausted, and burnt out, and spiritually malnourished, and so like spiritually like withering, because I'm not taking time to, to be with him. The core of this invitation, follow me, be with me. Yes, there is learn my way of life, learn about who I am, learn about what my kingdom's like, learn about the way I show love and kindness and faithfulness and learn about the way I think about value systems and the way I think about servant-heartedness and humility and forgiveness and grace and sexuality and hope and, and finances and learn all these things and conform your life to my kingdom, but all of it happens with him, with him faithfully present and loving. And so I would look back on these seasons like with this deep regret at times. And now I, I look back and I think that was just a, I think it was just a part of my journey. He was still with me. I didn't understand certain things about his love or his grace. Didn't mean he wasn't loving or, or he wasn't gracious. I was just, I was learning. And I had some failures along the way and I still have failures now and I have some more failures and my life is gonna be continuing to learn. And so all along the road, as we're learning to follow him, he's with us with us in the valleys, with us in the sweet moments, with us in our misunderstandings, with us in our confusions, with us in our doubts, with us in our failures, with us in our shame, with us in our wanderings, with us in our restoration. He's just with us, loving you, being gracious to you and patient, just saying, follow me, follow me again. You stumbled, follow me again. You turned away, follow me again. Follow me. And as he calls these first followers, it's, it's a powerful thing because they're aware that there are things that were going to inhibit their ability to follow him with all of their hearts. There are priorities in their life, not necessarily wrong things, but it says in the passage that they, as soon as he called them, they left their father, they left their sources of income, they left their place of social stability, economic stability, and their kind of friendship circles and their familial circles and all that that meant in their culture around their identity. And they said, our identity is now gonna be found centered on you, Jesus. And it says they left their nets and they left their father and they left their family, and they reoriented their life around being with Jesus all the time. Now, that, that means something for us today, and it doesn't mean you need to go quit your job and leave your family and become a nomadic, homeless person, you know, for the next whatever. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean something. So the question I want to ask you is, are there things in your life that you need to let go of in order to orient your life around the presence of Jesus? Are there things you need to leave behind? Priorities that have been governing your heart, governing your life, governing your agenda in life, governing your hours, governing your decisions that have been so controlling to your agenda in life that it's something that's made following Jesus really challenging. And so you want to leave Jesus on the margins, but that's not where Jesus wants to be in your life. He wants to be right at the center. And so what does it mean, what, what might God be calling you to open up your hands and let go of to follow him? Or are there areas of unconfessed sin, bitterness and frustration and addictions that because of a fear of being honest about these areas where you've turned from him, which he's, he knows already and he loves you. He knows already and he loves you. But to let go of them and say, I just want to be honest with him about this, maybe with others, because it's pulling me in another direction, and I can't, I can't like conquer this on my own, and so I want to turn to Jesus, but I need to be honest with Jesus and maybe some others that have been holding on to things that are holding me back. So are there things in your life that you need to let go of, that you need to turn from? And then the second question is, are, what are some steps? It's a journey. I mean, it really is a journey. What are some steps that you can take to put Jesus at the center? 
You know, like this is a really easy basic one, but like what would it look like to say, yeah, I want to wake up in the morning. And part of putting Jesus at the center is putting him first. Putting him first. I want to wake up tomorrow. And I know we've been talking about these things, but I just want to wake up and spend five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, spending some time saying, God, I'm here. You're with me today. Slow down. Maybe spend some time in his word, respond to his word with prayer. God, help me today just to walk with you, just to be with you, to follow you today. I think we can, as Christians, we can think about Christianity as a, as a, as a package of intellectual beliefs that, that have no real relevance for the day-to-day fabric of our life with Jesus. And I think he's inviting us to something way better, way more powerful. So what's a step? What's a step? Something to let go of, something to lay hold of. The season of Lent is a great time to actually try something of like, hey, here's, here's a thing in my life. It's not a bad thing, but it's a thing that's kind of occupied a pretty central place. And I'm going to fast from this thing in my life to actually remind myself that what my soul longs for and hungers for is the presence of God. So to take time in the season of Lent and say, I'm going to let go of some things to actually prioritize and centralize Jesus in my life. But what's a step that he might call you to take? What's powerful about this passage as he calls these men and women to him, there are huge crowds that begin to follow him. But what I think is interesting is the way the crowds heard about him. So he calls these first followers. He says, he says follow me. Come, come after me. Come follow me. And I'm going to actually make you fishers of men, or I'm going to kind of reorient your life, and you're going to start fishing for people. These were fishermen uh, fishing around the Sea of Galilee was a, a major source of economic income. Capernaum in particular was a village full of people who were kind of like living their lives, making their well-being through fishing. And he says, takes that image that they're very familiar with of, of going out and casting the nets and seeing what God provides for them. And he's saying, I'm taking that image and I'm twisting it to actually reframe it to say, you're going to go out into the world and you're going to be inviting people into my kingdom. It's not coercion. It's not this forcing people to believe certain things. It's not shoving things down people's throats. It's not demanding people. and It's not being begrudging and mean. All they're doing is they're sharing the power of the kingdom. The king has come and it's bringing transformation and they're inviting other people in. And so here's what it says in the passage. And I think this is just awesome. After they followed him, it says this. It says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria. His fame spread, his fame spread. As he's bringing transformation, as he's changing lives, as he's reconciling people to God and bringing real powerful works of transformation into their life, teaching about the way of his kingdom, his fame spread to more and more people. It's like these first four people become about 12. And then it says crowds begin to follow him. And as the crowds follow him and they're weighing his life, they're seeing his healings and his power and his love and his graciousness and they're hearing his teaching and they're experiencing things about his presence. And some are believing in him and following him and will stay with him. Others are walking away from him. But that group spread from 12 to couple hundred and it got to several hundred and then Jesus says really hard and it goes back down to a couple hundred and and it keeps moving and by the end of the story of Matthew Jesus is laying down his life on the cross and everybody's scattering everybody's scattering there are a few faithful women who stay near him and these few faithful women go to his tomb after he's died on the cross and and Jesus appears to them in this resurrected state and he shares with them this good news and they become the carriers of a good news that This king has died for us and he's risen from the dead and he's alive. And they spread that good news back to the 12 or the 11. And through the 11, that story, that news, that gospel spread all around the region, 
Thousands and thousands believed. In a few days, thousands were believing. And then those people were scattered, and they went to all the surrounding region around the eastern Mediterranean, and thousands upon thousands are, are believing. And they're telling their neighbors, and they're telling their children, and they're telling their coworkers, and they're telling political and government officials, and the news is spreading, and it makes its way all the way to Rome, and it's spreading, and then people start taking trips to, to go tell other people the good news, and, and it spreads, and then it spreads from that generation to the next generation, and that generation to the next generation, and, and generation after generation, and nation after nation, and people group after people group, and family after family, and parents to children, and children to relatives. That news has spread such that right now, millions upon millions of people bow their knee to Jesus as the Son of God, the King of the world, the Savior, and the lover of our souls. And he has become the most famous human being ever to walk on this earth because he's not merely a man. He is the God-man, and he's the one who's giving hope to every person on the planet. Every person on the planet, including Denver, Colorado, in 2020, his fame is spreading. The power of his kingdom is spreading. To sit here with you all today, to worship Jesus and to sing, oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, to hear you sing, oh, what a savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. To hear you sing, it's like the fame of Jesus has spread and he's inviting us to continue the journey, to continue the mission, to continue proclaiming and to show the power of his work at, at work, the power of his resurrection at work in our lives and then through our lives all around the city. It's stunning, stunning, and that has to mean something for us if you believe the news. If you believe the news and if you hear the voice of Jesus saying, follow me, Follow me, experience my power, experience my life, experience my love, and then I'm going to send you out and spread my fame everywhere. Because he's the king, and he's establishing the kingdom, and he's invited us in. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you now. Uh, to be here with this uh, group of people is, is a really sweet thing, but to be here with you on the throne with your faithful presence, your loving presence, your gracious presence, your mercy that's new every single morning. Your incredible faithfulness to us is, a, is something special. And so would you help us in our unbelief? Would you help our hearts to believe? For those in the room who feel areas in their own life where they just feel stuck, they long for transformation but are struggling to believe. Would you give them hope right now? Your wisdom and your timing are hard for us sometimes. The process and the journeys you have us on and the twists and the turns and the valleys are hard for us. And so we need your help, Holy Spirit, to remind us of your presence, your transforming power, even in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of the waiting, even in the midst of the longing. Would you bring hope and joy and love? And would you unleash us in this city? Think of friends and neighbors, coworkers who don't yet know you. People who don't know your power. People who have been hurt by us, hurt by the church, hurt by our brokenness, hurt by the brokenness of your people or people that profess you or those of us as we just wrestle and struggle. People... Would you, would you powerfully redeem your name 
Uh, Would you vindicate your name, your power, your love, your graciousness, your faithfulness, your kindness in the city? Would you help us to be a people that show your love, show your kindness, show your faithfulness, show your goodness and and your mercy as we relate to those around us here? Give us boldness to to share where we're experiencing your your power in our own lives, the things that you're healing and mending. Would you fill us up with your spirit? Would you pour out power on us as a community? We don't want to just share words. We want to go out in demonstration of the word and of power, of your power to transform lives, to to restore marriages and to mend broken hearts and to, and to bring forgiveness and cleansing from shame and to bring healing into this world, physical healing and emotional healing. And would you be bringing works of transformation into our community, into this world that we would be sharing not just the good news of something that happened, but the good news of what you are doing in this world. And so for those that, that feel hungry and desperate, even for those who, who don't, would you pour out power? Would you pour out power on us as a community and then give us the strength to be faithful proclaimers, faithful in the way we show love, faithful in our hope, faithful to your call in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Whatever.